there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi, everyone. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Connections with Eva Longoria. I'm Eva Longoria. And this podcast is all about connections, connections to everything, you know, to our children, our spouses, politics, spirituality. And today we are exploring our connection to fashion. And I've always had the best conversations with one of my dearest friends who I was like, this, I have to do this podcast about fashion because he has so much to say about it. And I think one of the main things he taught me was fashion is about communicating. He said one time, really funny, he goes, you know, in LA, you guys wear cars. In New York, we wear clothes. And I thought, oh my God, that's so funny because it's true. It's the how we communicate our status, our heritage, our culture. And I never thought about fashion until I met Robert. I remember being on a red carpet and people going, oh my God, Eva, how did you pick your dress? I was like, I didn't. I don't, I just put it on. Who are you wearing? I have no idea. I mean, I still, I still kind of like that. Others like Robert have a very strong connection to fashion. It's an extension of art. It's an extension of culture. It's an extension of, it like means so much to them and it's played such a big part. And if if we all watch Devil Wears Prada, then you're like, I really don't care about the blue sweater. And when she does the monologue and breaks down why the blue sweater is the blue sweater, it really blew my mind because I go, oh my God, it does, it does touch our lives in different ways. And I also think coming out of the pandemic, we're all fans of elastic, right? And uh, I don't know if I'm going back to a bra. So I would like to explore all of this with my dear friend, Robert Birdie. He's a leading stylist, expert in the fashion and design world. He's an entrepreneur. He's an entertainer. He's a television personality, and he's one of my best friends. Welcome to the show, Robert Birdie. Thank you. I can't believe we're letting people eavesdrop on one of our insane conversations (laughs) (laughs) and calling it a podcast. And we're we're calling it a podcast. (laughs) How many times did you say, like, we need to document everything? Robert said this 20 years ago to me. He's like, we got to document everything. And I was like, oh, God, no. And he, you would tell me, like, the first time we went to Oscar de la Renta, and you were like, this is a moment. Just remember this moment. <laughs> I have those and you have the pictures. I have the, yes. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Oscar de la Renta loved you. I love that he loved you so much. I, I love that you love fashion so much. And really, you and I are like 
opposite sides of the coin. Because, I mean, tell, tell everybody yes, how much sure. I could care less about fashion. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you understand it as a tool, but you're not emotional about it. You're pragmatic about it. It's just like fashion is something that's kind of there, that's just kind of present. I appreciate it. You do appreciate it. I remember being like a proud father once, and I thought when you you were looking at shoes and you said, <laughs> I don't know that I would ever wear these, but I really, really think they're a beautiful work of art, so I'd probably put them someplace and look at them. And I'm like, oh, she's come a long way, my little girl. She's like, I love that whole little exchange. Uh, I know it is. That's how I am, especially with prices. People think like, oh, it's I'm Eva. I can afford whatever I want. And I am so, how frugal am I when I'm like, how much is it? No. You're practical. I love that. I remember calling you about another pair of shoes and I said, this is a really beautiful pair of shoes and it's, you know, I forgot what it was at the time. It was something outrageous, but not entirely insane. <laughs> so, so so you're like, absolutely not. I would never spend that on a pair of shoes. <laughs> and it's a game I've played at dinner parties, which is like, how much would you spend on a, is my favorite blank, yeah. you know, I would ask people like, how much is the most you'd spend on a dress? What's the most you'd spend on a white shirt? What's the most you'd spend on a pair mm-hmm. of shoes? And it's interesting because you can discern so much from a person in terms of how they even think about pricing clothing slash fashion, like what they're willing to spend yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting. I love that that's your dinner party conversation. That's like that. And I, my other favorite game is uh, what does your sofa look like? Where I guess what people's sofas look like based <laughs> on their outfits. <laughs> I know exactly what your sofa looks like. You have a tufted velvet sofa. Oh, you have a black leather mm-hmm. sofa. Those those are easy to <laughs> like, spot. The black leather sofa guys. Those are yeah. easy to you spot. Def- when I met Tony, yeah. my ex-husband, he black leather sofa. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's an e- that's an easy buy, but see that's a that's a co- that's like a cop out purchase, <laughs> which a lot of clothing purchases are cop out. People don't treat clothing, whether you call it clothing or fashion, they don't all treat it with the same importance and significance in their life. But the reality is this: we don't walk around the planet naked. Everybody walks around clothed, mm. and clothing is your first shelter when you leave your mm. home. The things you put on, you think about a number of things every morning, but. One of the things you think about is what's the weather like? That's something you consider before you get dressed. If it's raining, you dress differently than it's sunny. If it's hot, you dress differently than when it's cold. So there is a practical application to what we call fashion that is often disregarded, but you don't think about it in this way, but it is the protection from the elements as soon as you walk out into the Mm -hmm. world. People are thoughtful about that in their minds. They're thinking like, you know, I'm going to go to the beach. This is what I wear. We also recognize things that are going on in our life through what people wear. So, you know, you driving past a park, you see a girl in a big white dress. You're like, that's a wedding. We recognize things. We signal things with fashion. And we do signal things about ourselves based on what we wear. It is the first thing that people hear is what they see when they first lay eyes on you, right? It's the first message yeah. you send. You're like, oh God, his, his, his shirt's buttoned way too low. Right, yeah. Yeah. You judge people. You <laughs> judge, you, you judge yeah, people you for sure by the way they look. And you think, like what you just described, I immediately think like American Gigolo, the movie, right? right? Like that. there's this idea of like who we're reporting ourselves to the world as based on how we dress. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you consider uniforms Uniforms are part of the fashion ecosystem, and I mean the UPS driver, policeman, et cetera. If somebody knocked on your door and they're wearing a police uniform, you immediately assess the situation and think, 
he is a policeman. Mm-hmm. He might not be a policeman. He could just be wearing a uniform <laughs> of a policeman. That's how the application of fashion is unique to each person and specifically how we want to feel or be thought about when we're in the public space and sharing space with other people on the planet. Because Some people want to diminish their presence and hide and recede, Mm. and other people want to assert their presence. And we use fashion to do that. We use what we wear to push ourselves into spaces with authority or put ourselves in situations where we can kind of take a backseat. It's an interesting part of our lives that people don't constantly examine, but is constantly there. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's a really big part of our life. Like, I remember the juicy sweatpants. And uh, you were like, if you wear one more juicy sweatpant, I'm going to throw, I'm going to burn them all. Because that was my uniform. I was like, I don't want to be photographed (laughs) one more time. And I'm just going to wear a juicy sweat uh, suit, uh, you know, the pant top and the bottom. If you just Google Evil and Gloria Juicy Sweatpant, you will see (laughs) (laughs) every color every day. I was just exhausted in that Mm -hmm. moment of uh, having to think. I'm going to get photographed. What should I wear? This, that one, you just hit something that I think is, uh, you know, a paradigm shift in fashion is when you look in the canon of history of how the media reported on fashion long before Instagram, when it was a very controlled environment, Mm -hmm. when the studios controlled the actors who were really disseminating the, the imagery that people were emulating. If you look back to whether it was Lucille Ball, Jacqueline Kennedy, Onassis, even Cher on the cover of Life magazine, those environments were very controlled. They were very thought out. And those images are what inspired mm-hmm. people to lean into certain styles and make to sort of em- emulate the trends based on those very popular, famous um, pop culture celebrities at mm-hmm. that moment, right? Joan Crawford, Betty Davis. This is constant in his, Eva Longoria in more recent <laughs> history. Yeah, talking but about history. Your, <laughs> your generation of actors leave your homes. You know, there's this, there's this shift where you see the paparazzi standing outside of the doors and the homes, finding out where you mm-hmm. live and standing outside of your yeah. doors. So when you emerge from your home, there you are, wearing a Juicy Couture sweatsuit to go to the set of Desperate Housewives to shoot your series. You're not in the character's clothing that was cute. You're not wearing Gabrielle Solis. You're not wearing Eva Longoria red carpet. You're wearing like, I need to be comfortable because I'm going to be in the makeup chair. I'm going to get dressed. Those images then get, because the paparazzi are outside, get disseminated around the world. And those are the images that people then begin to emulate. So L.A., shifted the way people started to dress, you know, the actors that lived there were the ones who were followed by all the paparazzi. Mm. And then those images get on the pages of Life and Style magazine, on Us Weekly, in People magazine. And suddenly people start to imitate and Mm -hmm. emulate. And it changed because when you look back, people used to emulate and imitate, always emulated and imitated famous people from the pages of magazines. But what they wore were like kitten heels and gloves and little hats and like proper handbag. And there was a whole different vibe idea put forward. Yeah. It really changed when the paparazzi started to follow. Well, and that's when Uggs became famous. Remember? It was like Uggs is a beach boot. It's for surfers. And then like it became cool. And it was like, wait, what? Yeah. They became 
a popular boot. And that's often, that oftentimes happens. You see things come out of, like an Olympic star wears something, you know, Serena Williams wears something on the tennis court and it becomes a trend. It becomes a thing. People want to actually get a piece of the celebrity by imitating mm-hmm. And the real famed, famous paparazzi who kind of started to change the game was Ron Galella. He, he followed Jackie O around. Um, you know, there were court cases against him. He, he was sued numerous times by Jackie. And he's the one who would follow all of these celebrities around, stand in front of their homes and get the pictures. Wow. And he changed the game. And those images were not like those studied images that Life magazine would put out there on the pages on a right it was her in the hamptons it was her yeah you know in the backyard of camp david whatever yeah this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together. And that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi. I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, Stay Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you know, it's so funny because you've said it, we've talked about this many times also, is clothing and fashion communicate so much, but it also communicates like who your tribe is, right? Like you, I remember- Rick, you made me buy a Rick Owens. That was one expensive piece that I was like, I'm not spending this much on a Rick Owens jacket. <laughs> but what I remember wearing it and certain people going, oh, oh, ah, like mm-hmm. 
it opened a door that I had no idea was closed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you yeah. think about that? Like, like we, we, clothing also allows you to find your tribe. The bohemian hippie, right? The yogi, the soccer mom, the, yeah. it's like, talk about uniforms. Clothing is, it is tribal. You know, if you look at the movie Mean Girls, when she's sort of voicing over the cafeteria, there's the potheads, there's the, you know, the it girls, there's the rockers. Like that is consistent in all of our lives. We know that we were in experiences where those people exist. And it's interesting that the tribes always exist as sort of these independent little groups. But it's the, the people who I find most fascinating are the ones who understand the dialects and can move in and out of all these little groups. Mm-hmm. And they are still using fashion. They're using it in a different way to gain acceptance. And sometimes it's just the t-shirt. Maybe you don't have the piercings and the black hair and you're not a total rocker, but you have something that's an approved indicator to a group that sort of says, oh, he's one of us, or he speaks our language. It's a dialect. You can see it across the logomania. The girls who, and guys who are Fendi obsessed are not the same group that are Gucci obsessed Mm. and are not the same group that is Louis Vuitton obsessed. Mm. And you see that with Logomania, that they're very specific to their tribe and to their loyalty to a brand. It, it's, it's a fascinating little piece of our, our day-to-day experience. Yeah. You know, it really is one of the kind of most superficial and simultaneously one of the deepest personal expressions. Mm-hmm. One of the wonderful things about fashion that I've always loved is how temporary it is. It's ephemeral. You can dress like a cowboy today and look like a cowboy. And tomorrow you can dress like you're on Wall Street. It's something that you have total control over and can shift in a minute. You can totally change your own mood and what you're saying about yourself when you change your clothing. Mm-hmm. I feel that way with like hair color too. For you sure. Know, I'm a redhead. For sure. It's like you're a different person. You're Yes. You might be more outgoing. You might be, you know, I'm going to wear red lip today, lipstick, right? Oh, like wearing a red lipstick, forget about it. You got to hold me back for the day. All of that. Correct. I agree with you. Lipstick is a great one because it is one of those things that you can change quickly. Hair color takes a minute, Mm -hmm. right? But peeling off your clothes and putting something else on. The other thing that sort of changed fashion, and these are like, if you go into the canon of history, you see changes in what we call, commonly called trends, Mm -hmm. And they're always linked to other things happening in the world, whether those things are political, social shifts. Well, the one I I often look at is the 1950s. You can sort of see a big change in the 1950s. There was the idea of car culture was coming. Families were buying cars. The automobile industry was making automobiles available to everybody. They were no longer for really wealthy people, which is how most things come into our lives it's through looking up from being uh, the, to, at the unattainable. Yeah, up and with so the Joneses, automobiles, yeah. yeah, it's keeping up with the Joneses, correct. And so automobiles were not something that were available to everybody. The automobile industry, though, turned this around by offering credit and you could pay over time. And once that happened, other industries followed. So you could go into your local department store and put things on what was then called layaway. Yeah, which is yeah I put so much on layaway. Oh my God. <laughs> so much. You still owe a couple I, of people I think a few came, bucks, I think right? I still owe Kmart something <laughs> from, from layaway. layaway. I think I still have some stuff in well, the back. <laughs> yeah, layaway allowed people to purchase things that they couldn't 
a four in one in, in real one time. swoop, right? Correct, in one fell swoop. And so what that did was it changed the game. So you went to anywhere USA on a Sunday, and you went to a, you know the small town and went to a church in that town. There were girls who were always in a different dress on Sunday. And then there were girls who were always same in the same yeah, dress. I was the same dress. I was the same dress every yeah. Sunday. Or my sisters and I would <laughs> rotate. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So those were your Sunday clothes. Yeah. What you see happening as we move through the 50s is that there was this sudden shift where people could afford to buy things over time called credit. And they could then purchase things that they couldn't afford, like you said, in one fell swoop. And that moment, that changes, because up until then, clothing actually told people in your community and around you who you were. And you knew the girl with different clothes every Sunday was the daughter of a merchant, a lawyer, a doctor. And you knew the girls who were in the the same dress every Sunday were from the working class. Their parents were teachers. Their parents you know, were the mechanics in the, in the community. They're parents were the working folks. And so what you find is that fashion becomes this superpower for people. And they are now able to buy things that they, you know, my mother uses the word afford, right? Like that they can't Mm -hmm. afford, but they could afford over time again. And that it now tells you, it no longer tells the world who you are. It tells the world who you want Mm -hmm. to be, right? So you look at the Nellie Olsen character in Little House on the Prairie and she's got these frilly lace dresses on and her hair is in these these coiled curls and she's got head, you know, lace headbands and big bows and she was the merchant's daughter. And then you look at the Engels sisters <laughs> and they were wearing like linen clothes that were tattered and worn and they worked on the farm. That's kind of it's a series a lot of people may not know, but that <laughs> you're really aging kind us. of illustrates. You're aging us. You're aging. I'm aging us, right? That illustrates the power of what fashion does. It tells people who you yeah. are. But to sort of hammer down on this, it's like to really get acute with it. Once people could afford to buy things through the credit system, they no longer were beholden to being who they are. They can now tell the world who they want to mm-hmm. be. So you can tell the world who you want to be based on what you wear. And I want to be a celebrity. Celebrities wear Louboutin shoes. I'm buying a $1,200 Louboutin Mm -hmm. shoe. It was no longer a restricted category. You no longer had to just look at it through the window and say, oh, one day I hope to own those and then wait 10 years to save up the money to buy it. You could just go in, slap down a credit card and buy it. So fashion changed how we dressed changed as a byproduct of the credit. Well, that, and also don't you think, I mean, fast fashion, right? Now you can get a really great blazer. I remember I didn't own a blazer. Like I was like a blazer, (laughs) what's that? And (laughs) Zara made it possible for a whole Mm -hmm. section of people to dress. But I mean, I I remember seeing somebody, I was like, God, uh, it was like a a TV exec. And I said, oh my God, she's so elegantly dressed. And she's like, oh honey, this is all Zara. Like (laughs) now it is accessible and affordable to create the illusion of Louis Vuitton or Gucci or whatever it is. I mean, it it comes with the consequences, right? Like, like fast fashions filling up landfills, you know, fast or whatever. But what do you think about that? Like valuing clothing, buy, spend the Mm -hmm. money and buy the piece that you're going to have forever 
or yes. follow the trends? And, you know, what do you think about like both sides of that coin? I mean, these are the two words I would, I would use. It's investment versus expense. Those are the two things that you actually look at every, everything in your life with that lens. You think like, is this an investment or is this an expense? Mm -hmm. So with clothing, it depends on your lifestyle. You know, it's like Princess Diana needed a lot of dresses, a lot of gowns because she's a princess and she was going to a lot of things that required her to wear fancy dresses. If you are a horse trainer, you have a lot more jeans and cowboy hats than you do ball gowns, right? So it's really what's the investment versus expense based on what your lifestyle is. But when you talk about fast fashion, I think what it afforded people was diversity in their wardrobe. It afforded them the opportunity to have a lot more to choose from. The reality is most people in the Western Hemisphere, especially in the United States, have way too many articles of clothing than they will ever use or wear. That's kind of the the, the problem is that we all find our uniform. And one of the things that I think we all learn as we collect and spend our money in this space on clothing is that before you really figure out what uniform works for you, you have to have a lot of stuff. And once you have a lot of stuff to call through, you make choices, you wear a couple of things, they become your favorites, and you didn't even know, you had no idea when you purchased that item that it was going to be the item that was your wardrobe savior. It's like the jacket you always go to, no matter what. I have a jacket that's probably 10 years old that's a Comme de Garçon jacket that I bought thinking this is a great jacket to wear to like a black tie thing. I wear it to everything. I have a hundred jackets. That's the jacket I always go to. I didn't know that when I purchased it, that it would become the fail-safe fashion solution for my lifestyle. And I think that's where fast fashion gives us some real opportunity to figure out how to customize our personal uniform. Because we all have a uniform, Mm -hmm. you know, a look that we try to fine tune and create. That's part of how we consistently present ourselves publicly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, talk about that because I, I, you always talk about like clothing is like a mating call. It's like the peacock feathers. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for my yes. mate. Well, you just used the perfect example, right? I mean, the peacock feathers, <laughs> right? It happens in all, in the entire animal kingdom, which we're a part of. <laughs> there is, there is this purposeful intention that we set forward with fashion, which is to be seductive. I mean, that's what we use clothing for a lot of the time it's to seduce people so they can see us without our clothing. It's one of those curious things about attraction and finding your tribe because you really want to dress in a way that you attract a person whose style you appreciate or have a similar style to because that for some reason before we even ever see the person without their clothes on becomes the seduction tool, you know, the most obvious is low cut, you know, dresses. Right. Um, revealing, tight, yeah. Tight, yeah. tight, tight clothing. Mm-hmm. That's seductive. But there are people who are attracted to looser fit fitting garments and like wrinkly pantyhose, and they think that's mm-hmm. super sexy. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for that. And the person who knows that is putting on loose fitting clothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and wrinkly pantyhose because they think that, and I love that I'm saying pantyhose like I'm 92 years old because pantyhose are. I remember pantyhose. It's such my mother's word, but I think it's such a church lady thing. When I moved to Hollywood, I was wearing pantyhose. And I remember somebody going, (laughs) why are you wearing those? But I was from Texas. I'd never been out of Texas. It's like you you don't leave the house without pantyhose. (laughs) But now you do. It's bare legs, you know, which is seductive. It's part of how we seduce people. And I mean, men and women do this. Women will... Regardless of your proclivity, I'm using traditional ideas here, but the uh, you know the idea that a woman's like I'm really attracted to a man in a suit, or the hot fireman, like that you know I love a guy in a uniform. Yeah, it's an idea we have that's largely related to how people are dressed. Yeah. That's what it's. You don't know anything about this person. What you know is what you see, and what you see is their clothing. Yeah. You know what's so funny is as I've produced so many. TV shows, one of the shortcuts we do is usually writers and studios are like, give everybody a uniform. And that doesn't mean mailman, policeman, but it does mean a shortcut to who they are, right? Mm -hmm. Like the affable, lovable guy has that wrinkly shirt on with the crooked tie. And he always has that. He's going to always have that. You know, Gabrielle Solis will always have the tight leopard dress. Right. Like uh, I remember at the end of the show there, I could keep half of my wardrobe and I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm okay. Because <laughs> I was like, that's not me. I'm not Gabby. I don't wear the leopard. I had like 85 leopard dresses. But it, it is a tool we use in, in media to shortcut the audience to go, got it, got it. A, a loose woman over there. Yep. Okay. Oh, a good guy. Right. Oh, the mom, the soccer moms. Right. All the, the yeah. Lululemon group, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And even even regions where they're from, you and I had a conversation about a character development and what her wardrobe was like and where she went to where her kids went to school. Everything is an indicator when you are creating television or films. Even the stroller they would use is an indicator of who they are. And our conversation was very specifically about like New York wealthy women. Where do they shop? What do they drink? What does her hair look like? What's the bag she's Mm -hmm. carrying? What's the watch she's wearing? Yeah. Right. All of that. All of that is an indicator. And we're always looking for those cues to tell us before the person opens their mouth. That character could just walk into the scene and the person watching is like, oh, she's the rich grand dom Mm -hmm. of this. Like you immediately know who who she Mm -hmm. is, cued by what she's wearing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I never wear pearl earrings. I don't know why. I don't know what it says. <laughs> a pearl earring. You're not traditional. But I'm just like, who wears pearl earrings? I feel like it says something and it says something strong. And I'm like, that. I'm not that person. I'm definitely not a pearl earring wearing girl. This, what I can see of you right now is very much who you are. I don't know if you're wearing jeans. No, I'm wearing, look at it, leggings and tennis shoes. This is Okay. With a popped collar. That's one of your uniforms, but the popped collar button up shirt <laughs> and a pair of jeans and heels yes. is another That's one of your uniform. uniforms. That's my work uniform. Jeans yeah. and a blazer. Jeans and a blazer. You know, you told me this too one time of like in building clothing brands and when I had my clothing line and you go, what are gonna, people going to go to you for, right? Like you go to, yes. you go to Carolina Herrera for the crisp white shirt. You go to Veronica mm-hmm. Beard for the blazer. You go to Diane von Furstenberg for the wrap dress. Everybody has something. And and we were like, what are the people going to go to me for? And you were like, jeans, jeans, jeans. Because I was like, this is like my (laughs) jeans phase. By the way, I haven't worn jeans in like five years. Nobody has now. Yeah. 
Genes really are one of those things that touch on everything we're talking about. They're, they're an indicator of your tribe. They fit your body and make you feel really good. It's a butt purchase. Most people, men and women, turn around, look at their butt, and that's what they look at when they're wearing yeah. jeans. They make you feel taller. A lot of people look for lengthening with, with a denim purchase. But it's kind of an uncomfortable garment, even though it's the cornerstone of the American wardrobe for so many years. And the denim industry is forever connected to LA because, you know, California commerce is where that, that product was born. Mm-hmm. The great, you know, American brand Levi's born on the West coast. That is one of those products that people love and they know it's easy to wear and it goes with everything and it goes anywhere. Now we're allowed to wear it to even black tie, a guy in a tuxedo jacket and a pair of jeans is super cool. But in the last few years and certainly post pandemic, it feels like an uncomfortable garment to put yeah. on. It's not soft. It's, what you just started with uh, a comment about elastic. Yes. Like, I don't know if I could ever go back. Yeah. Well, talk, let's talk about that. Like the work from home. Well, just the whole athleisure wear movement. Because I think it started mm-hmm. before the pandemic. You know, this, this did, like you sure. could wear tennis shoes to the office and you were an exec. Mm-hmm. Like what? And it looks cool. And the blazer with the tennis shoes, you know, I, I love that look. You know, the jogger pant, the elevated jogger pant, right? Like, <laughs> hmm where did it birth from? Like, well, how did that come about? Because it, I don't think it was a pandemic. I think the pandemic just like made it shoot up. Magnified yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that when we talked about the idea of s- trends being born amongst celebrity culture and the images being disseminated, and those again were superstars leaving their homes, wearing their pajamas or their sweatsuits to go to the set of a TV show or a movie where they would then be put in character versus being dressed as themselves for their life. Like if you were going to a red carpet, you dress differently than when you're going to the grocery store, granted. But most of the time, those images were of women in really casual clothing, men in really casual clothing on their way to the set of a, you know, production. And so those images, when people more celebrity obsessed than they ever were, were the ones we were drawing our inspiration from. And designers, I think, had to lean into that. And I think you see this moment where designers are like, well, people aren't wearing structured, constructed, Mm -hmm. architectural clothing anymore. So how do we take that and fold it into a garment? And I think you saw designers starting to change. And even the esteemed designers started to rethink the clothing they were making and then what it meant and then the intrinsic quality of the the materials used. So like cashmere sweatpants were far more regal and rare than cotton sweatpants. So you saw that uh, happen in the top tier of the market. You saw brands start to make luxury materials into more casual shapes. And it snowballed to where we are now, you know, there's, there's certainly like a tracking you could use to kind of illustrate different intersections. But as you said, most notably in our recent lives, the pandemic has completely shifted because our work life has shifted. Mm -hmm. We don't go to work in communal offices anymore. People are working from home a lot more. People have changed the way they dress because they don't have to dress to go any place any longer. And you see that exacerbated right now. What is interesting is one of the big booms is in remaking or making uh, in the upcycling fashion ecosystem. You're seeing people take bed quilts and make them into coats. Yeah. 
This is very popular yes. now, right? So you're seeing these quilted coats that are made from old bed quilts. And it's because a lot of those people were thinking like, we wear pajamas all day. Why not wear your quilt? Instead of just like draping it around your shoulders, they're making these loose fitting comfortable mm-hmm. quilts that like stay on your body easier. Because if you just throw something over your shoulders, like granny in a rocking yeah. chair, it's not as cool. But that's definitely a byproduct of the pandemic. And what we've seen happen is designers starting to rethink how people dress. One of my clients in New York that has a a retail operation that was opened at the onset of the pandemic and whether or not it should have even been opened was a concern at that moment. And we kind of went through it. And where we landed was, let's go forward and open this retail store. But what was interesting about the store Mm -hmm. was we didn't sell anything that you had to try on in a dressing room. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to strip down because she's a really much like you and all of my clients. She's super smart. And she said, people aren't going to strip down to put on a dress, a pair of jeans. Like they're only wearing new cocoons is what she called them. (laughs) People are walking out of their house in their pajamas and they look in their closet and think like, oh, this will be fine. It'll look really good when people see me if I run into anybody. So put on a great coat, put on something a cocoon, Mm -hmm. a shell, something that's just like really fabulous on top of your yoga clothes, on top of your pajamas, on top of your sweatsuit. And that thing was an interesting recognition for this particular business to say like, this is how people are dressing now. This is what people are doing. People are not going into dressing rooms with six hangers and trying on things and having the tailor from the retail, you know, operation come to the floor and hem it and pinch it and tweak it and make it fit better. That's not how people live anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just not what's happening right now. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is another change in our relationship to fashion. It's going to change again. Mm -hmm. Like maybe what I feel, I remember, you know, as coming out of the pandemic and the first time I went to a restaurant, I got dressed up, right? I I was like, (laughs) I mean, first of all, I was like, how do I walk in these heels? Like I forgot how to do that. But I was like excited. I was really excited to like be out and, and dress up again. And so I'm wondering also if like the pendulum will swing the other way now. You know what I mean? Where, 100% uh, Yeah? You think so? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, in our social engagements and behaviors, we do think about it's how we put ourselves out there. What, what you know, it is clothing isn't just another facet of our, it's another tool we use to communicate. It's another facet of our personality. We use it to tell people something about us and you don't want to walk into the restaurant even to meet your best friend looking schlubby unless there's something really broken and emotional happening in your yeah. life where you're like, I just don't care. Yeah. Most people want to look polished and put together. And when you think about going to any event, whether it's a wedding, a bar mitzvah, confirmation of baptism, a birthday party, an anniversary party, we think about what we wear yeah. and what's appropriate for that event and what's not appropriate by most standards, is wearing a sweatsuit. Yeah. Right? So you might be like, ugh, I have to put something nice on. It might be a little bit of... But the other thing I've learned is that most people, when they look great, they feel great. Yeah. And they deliver completely differently to their friends and to their family when they feel great about themselves. Yeah. That's just the truth. And this is true about every species of animal. You see mating calls and behaviors based on like... 
the color of the coat, the length of the hair and the animal, the posture they assume, it's consistent across all species. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together. And that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi. I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're talking about fashion. We're talking about about clothing. We're talking about accessories and shoes and bags and Mm -hmm. eyewear. And like, it's just so many facets to it. And I, do you feel like accessories is just as important. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's all part of it, right? To sort of further explore what you're proposing, which is how it's changed in the last 20 years, 10 years, five years pandemic, you see a couple of things happening. Like if you looked at the movies in 19, in the 1980s, the movie Wall Street, the pinstripe suit, the Rolex watch, the alligator shoes, those things are no longer the hallmarks of status any longer you actually don't have to wear the Rolex. You can wear an, an Apple Watch. That's a status symbol today. Yeah, Sneakers are a status symbol. Rarer sneakers are even more of a status symbol. The harder to get items. The designer versions of them, whether they're Louboutin, Saint Laurent, Balenciaga, Balmain, they all are status symbols. They're no longer traditional, like, you know, leather wingtips for men. They're really kind of interesting technologically designed, bizarre shapes used for the souls, 
interesting, you know, dynamic materials used for the uppers. Mm -hmm. They're very, they're very different in how they're approached um, for our day-to-day use. But of course, that's where the status is. Mm -hmm. People will not turn their heads if you're wearing a leather wingtip anymore, like in the 1980s, when all eyes were like, you could tell he's like a successful guy. Look at his shoes. He's wearing churches from London. (laughs) You no longer look at that. Uh And you look at their footwear and you think, oh my God, he's got those limited edition Jordans on. That's what you think. Yeah, yeah. The accessories have changed. They're always indicators. Um, They've always been indicators. They indicate the same thing, which is your social currency, but, you know, and potentially they indicate things about you, like your wealth, you know, how accessible these things are to you are also indicators. That's that's what you're really seeing with this change is things that are very limited are not available to everybody. Yeah. Well, interesting you say that because, you know, I'm big into this NFT space and a meta Birkin is going for yeah. as much as a Birkin. So as we yeah. move forward, things that weren't normally accessible, the limited edition mm-hmm. Air Jordan, the the Birkin bag, it feels like in this metaverse world, it could be possible. You could wear a Balenciaga yeah. jacket and a whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, what are your thoughts about the future of digital clothing? You know, it hasn't really become the most popular tool to the fashion community. The fashion industry is like tickling it and playing with it. It really is a phenomenon within the art world yes. at this moment. Right. But it, all of these creative industries, home, design, fashion, art, they all are interconnected and intertwined. Mm-hmm. So I think it will come to pass. The things that are sort of not hammered out or whether or not they could really control the thing they're trying to control, which is that blockchain yeah. and whether or not it really exists exclusively to this person. Yeah. Ownership. Right. Proof of ownership. Right. Yeah. The, the real ownership of it. But I find it interesting mm-hmm. that it becomes almost an editorial um, catalog of your life when you can sort of turn on your phone Swipe and be like, I own this, I own this, I own this, I own this, which is, incidentally, phones are another accessory yeah. that tells people a lot about you. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's interesting because that's another dimension to getting to know somebody. If you're dependent on them to sort of reveal to you what they own clothing wise mm-hmm. based on their digital closet, mm-hmm. it changes a lot of how we're going to use clothing, mm-hmm. and how we're what we're going to wear. Yeah. What makes somebody fashionable? Can anybody be fashionable? Yeah. I I mean, it's the old, it's the cliche and I hate saying it, but anybody can buy fashion. Not everybody has style. (laughs) It's interpretive. It's something that is, I almost, it's like one of the things that bonds me to my boyfriend is that we can both look at a fashion show separately or together and we'll like the exact same specific element, detail, garment, entire look from a collection. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's like, he's my tribe. He's one of me. Yeah, like, yeah. There are not a lot of people who look at 60 looks from, you know, 150 <laughs> collections and can pick out almost the same, exactly yeah. the same elements, ideas mm-hmm. and 
garments and fabrications and silhouettes. Yeah. And, and so that thing is curious, and that's what I know he's got great style. I'm going to assertively say, I think I have great style. I think you have very um, good style. I have very good style. Also, our relationship, and I, I mean, we've talked, you know, you are in my heart forever and ever because of many, a million reasons. <laughs> but when we met, I remember the day we met, and I don't remember a lot of things in my life, but I remember the day we met, and I remember where we were in our lives at that moment, what we were trying to accomplish. And you were just wholeheartedly, you understood, like I had this capability or this quality to be able to participate in your life with this thing. And I like you, like you, meaning you like, you know, and, and you like me yes. and I like you. And I was like, I could do this for her. And it was so easy. And we clicked. Yeah. And to that end, I think that when you and I have, had conversations, deep conversations about our relationship and our lives. And we land on like, I believe that one of the reasons we came into each other's lives is we're great teachers to each other. Yes. Yeah. I agree. You've given me so much and taught me so much. Yeah. And I hope I've You've taught me you. way more. And I'm not talking about fashion, just in life. Like I want to do another podcast about life lessons with Robert Verdi. That's our next, <laughs> that's the next podcast. Life lessons that, with Robert Verdi. That's one I definitely would never listen to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear it all in my head. No, I love you so much. I love that, you know, it's so funny because I remember that day and that moment. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to be best friends. This is exciting. You did. That's what you said. And you said that? Yes, yes. And you said, can you decorate my house? Yes. And I said, sure. And you said, I don't have a house yet. <laughs> I was like, cart before the horse. Uh, 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 <laughs> I know. Like, oh my God. Robert Brody decorated you, my first house. And I remember I went away. I, I bought it. And I go, I don't know. I bought it. It's up there. You know, here are the keys. I'll be back in six months. I mean, literally. And I said, I want to arrive. I want my toothbrush there. I want to go to bed. I want to go to bed. I want to put my toothbrush. I want to go to sleep. And I walked in and sure enough, Everything was like done and beautiful. And then you did my trailer for Desperate Housewives mm -hmm. when we all got, we renegotiated our contracts and we got a trailer and you made my trailer a replica of my home so that it would yep. feel like I was in my home away from home. And everybody who came into my trailer was like, oh my God, this is so cozy. I'm like, this is the wallpaper in my house. This is, this is the couch <laughs> in my house. Like it was such a great idea because I spent the majority of my time in my trailer. Home away from home. My home away from home. I'll never forget it. I love you so much, Robert Rarty. Thank you for right, walking us you. through fashion and our relationship to it. My last question for you is what's a book everybody must read? A book that's changed your life or like? This is an oldie, but a goldie for me. There's a book I read many, many years ago called Autobiography of a Face mm. by Lucy Greeley. She's an Irish uh, poet and writer. And she wrote a book about her own experience with um, having cancer mm -hmm. and how it ravaged her physical appearance and how she moved through the world recognizing that she was different than others and people were judging her mm. and thinking things about her and assuming things about her and saying things to her, making whether they were making fun of her or trying to yeah. be kind to her because of what she looked like. And that idea is, you know, so tied to the subject of fashion, beauty and fashion go hand in hand. Yeah. And I remember, I know she's, she's, she died in the early two thousands, but I remember running into her and I thought that is just the universe. Right. The first time I read the book, 
I ran into her a couple of weeks later on the street and I was shaking and I walked over to her and I was said, Miss Grilly? And she stopped and looked at me and she said yes. And I told her I had just finished her book and that I was moved and I loved it and that I would recommend it forever. And here we go. Yeah, and you're still recommending it. And I'm still recommending it. I love that book. Oh my gosh, that's a good one. I've never, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's a great book. I think you would really enjoy it. It's an emotional read, but it's a really, really informative read too. It's simultaneously uplifting and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love you, Robert Birdie. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I love this connection. Thank you so much for listening. I'm happy to be connected with you. Connections with Eva Longoria is a production of Unbelievable Entertainment in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.